Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice Podcasts with your hosts, Dre Evans and Ike Eke. On this show, you'll gain unique perspectives from investors and professionals on all aspects of the apartment investing space. Do you want to achieve legacy wealth and live a life of financial freedom? Well, all it takes is that first slice of wisdom to get you started on the journey to building your empire. Please subscribe to the show, leave a five-star review, and pass it along to a friend that can benefit from a slice of multifamily knowledge. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. I'm your host, Dre Evans. I've got my great co-host here in the house, Ike A.K. I want to thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. If you're a first-time listener, please hit the subscribe button. And if you're a returning listener, please leave a five-star review. But it's Thursday. I feel like I haven't seen Ike in a while. And before we kick this special episode off, I got to check in with you. How are you doing today, man? Dre, I'm doing good. And it's a little strange for you guys not in the viewing audience. We are actually in person today. And usually, I get to look at Dre's face over the Zoom. But now I cannot because it's sitting next to me. But otherwise, fantastic day. Beautiful day in San Diego. Um, it's still mid-70s at the end of October. So you got to love that. But other than that, man, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's It's been busy. Like I said, I feel like we haven't caught up in a while. What's been really busy for me is the memoir coming out. So that'll be November 29th. And that's just been a roller coaster, just being on call with the publisher every single day. Um, on top of doing the Navy stuff, it's been a busy week, but I cannot wait because I feel like a lot is going to be taken off the pack for sure once that's once that's done. So I'm excited. I love it. I love it. Getting into the holiday season. Yes. 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 You know, we've been sprinting all year, yes. almost a year anniversary for the show. So that's fantastic. Yes. Well, uh-huh. right? um, but with no further ado, today we are with Kenny. And Crystal, some beautiful alliteration there. Mm-hmm. Kenny is a mortgage advisor, and Crystal is a mortgage broker here in San Diego. And we are excited to have them in the show, and we are excited that they're allowing us to use their space to record the show. So with no further ado, please introduce yourselves to our audience and uh, let them know who you are, what you do in the real estate space, how you got started in the real estate space, and where you plan to take it. Awesome. Well, thanks for having us on the show. I appreciate it. My name is Crystal Simpson. I am the broker and owner of Pacific Shore Capital. So I've been doing multifamily and commercial financing for almost 20 years. Someone on Instagram accused me of being five years old in 2008. So I am happy to say, (laughs) even though I look young, I've been doing this for 20 years. So my mom actually got me in the business when I was 19. I basically was like, I need to make money. College is not my thing. I was taking classes at Mesa and I was like, whatever it takes to just like pay my rent and make money. And so she got me started in residential first. And at that time I was like super into like fitness and working out and stuff. So I would just tell everybody in the gym, like I do loans, but I want to do commercial. And that's how I got my first commercial loan. Like I literally had no idea what I was doing. The banker, like showed me how to do loans. The very first loan that I ever did, he like walked me through it. And it was like a $4 million loan um, on an SRO downtown. So that was my first experience. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. It was 2003. So I feel like I was kind of like business was kind of on the upswing. So I just like my timing was also really good. So I did that loan and then that guy had partners and I did loans for his partners and their partners and their partners, partners. And it just kind of like snowballed into this, this thing. But I had a hundred dollars in my bank account. I had no idea how I was going to pay rent when I first started my business. And I was literally terrified. And that first client of mine was like, you got to do this. Like I'll loan you $2,000 to get a laptop and a printer. 
and I shared a cubicle with someone in a real estate office and I just started in my little cubby hole and like closed my first deal and figured out how to pay my rent. <laughs> so that's, that's how I got started. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, and for the listening audience, she just proved that she has been in this for 20 years because she mentioned she bought a printer. And we don't really use those. No, <laughs> no. But my first question for you is, you said, you know, you immediately knew you wanted to get into commercial. How did you know? And, and you know, what brought that thought into your brain? So for me, I look at doing residential and still. So residential, I always saw as like this opportunity to like help first time home buyers. It's like a very emotional experience and commercial. I mean, at the time, of course, I think your, your idea of what you're going to be doing is always a little different, but I just imagine these like really sophisticated people and like being around like, you know, wealthy people who were like really smart and knew everything about money. And I was like doing these big, big deals. I just like imagine myself like Donald Trump or something, you know? <laughs> and so that was my thing. I didn't want to really work with like that emotional first time buyer. My goal is to work with like a more sophisticated investor. And yeah, I mean, I joke about it from time to time, but I do love it. It's like, I help rich people get richer, but I've also learned, like Kenny and I have learned so many strategies just based on doing people's financing. So I've gotten a close look like that people will never get. So we've learned a lot from that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Kenny, you're on deck. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, because Crystal shared like a fraction of what she's done. So that's, what's funny. Yes. So I'll, I'll do the quick uh, intro and then I'll share the rest. So a little bit, I'm like a little bit behind Crystal, so I'm about 19 years, so she's gonna beat me on the 20 year mark. So I started in residential financing, one to four, so not as exciting as commercial, and uh, just did that. And then when Crystal and I, I'll just fast forward, so I did that, went through the financial crisis, that was exciting. And during that time, that's when Crystal and I actually met. We met at the, literally the, around this time, about a month from now, in 2008, which is kind of funny because we're kind of going through similar times. And my business was upside down. She was kind of like, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so when we kind of met, got together, I said, well, shit's really bad. So let's just get together. And we ended up uh, living in a one bedroom apartment pretty quickly. And we turned two different rooms and put offices in there. And I said, just start getting to work. And so we started getting to work and kind of getting out of a hole. And then eventually we started, we ended up buying a house and then somehow, some way, somebody had a great idea that we should start a property management company. So we started managing one lady's property, 24 units, I think about 2012. And it kind of just sat there for a couple of years. And it was a lot of work at first. And then I don't know what happened. Somebody came and said, well, can you guys manage our portfolio? And we were like, sure. So we're like, we should probably make a business out of this. Well, fast forward from that, three years later, we had over a thousand units, all organically, didn't ask, didn't market, did nothing. And then we kind of looked at each other. We were like, holy smokes, uh, this was unexpected. And we have 45 employees and we're working 80 hour plus weeks with everything. Yeah. And during this time, we started buying and doing our own real estate portfolio. And then in 2017, we looked at each other and they said, this is unsustainable. And it's actually we... a little different than that. You looked at me and said, <laughs> yeah. if you want to have a family, yeah. you better yeah. sell this company. <laughs> yeah. And so literally we had this conversation. The weird thing about a month or two later, we get a call from a friend that introduced to a startup that wanted to get in the property management space, which we thought they were crazy. So we were with their first acquisition. We got out and in 2018, that's when we kind of started in the content, started the podcast, and then we just kept buying real estate. And I just decided to kind of go all in on the content and then go all in more on loans and focus on that. Where, where are we going to work and make the most money so we can buy more real estate faster? 
And so fast forward today, that's kind of where we're at. We're helping a lot of people through content, through podcasts like you guys are. And then obviously through the financing, we're getting probably close to about 3 billion in loans we've done over the time. So we've helped a lot of people. And like Crystal said, we've learned a lot. And on the way, the people we met, the mentors and people that won't come on our podcast, that will never go on anybody's and super private, but they're mentors here. So, you know, you guys, I know syndicate, we like, I probably didn't even really understand the word syndicate till probably three, four years ago. Cause all of our clients here, when you say they have a thousand units, it's like, no, it's theirs. They didn't raise money. People are like, what? How's that possible? I'm like, it is possible. <laughs> so that was a new thing. So, you know, as we done the podcast, we got to meet so many new, exciting people. It's awesome. So. Like you guys. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that I want to unpack there. The first thing I want to say is with the property management, looking back now, what would you say are some of the the nuggets that you really took, lessons learned nuggets that you took most out of from that experience? Well, <laughs> I, I, you know, honestly, when we, when I was in management, the thing that I loved about it that was kind of hard for me to let it go is just being so in it every day. Like you could tell me, a street and say, I have a two bedroom on, you know, in North park on this street, I'd be like, that's the rent, like market rent. It's going to cost you this amount to rehab it. You're going to get this rent. You're going to get that. Like, I just, people would be like, you are so fast at making decisions. I'm like, this is all I do. I knew like every neighborhood. So that, and we got a ton of like really amazing, like vendors, contractors and stuff, um, contacts from it. And I will say we had one of our biggest clients, like I, we didn't even go through the whole yeah, you know, spiel of the management company, but I did help. I took on one client that had 180 units when he came to us and it actually was, he was going to just give me one building. And over the weekend, as I was trying to take that building over, he said, you know what, can you, can you just take the whole thing? Cause otherwise I think I'm just going to sell and get out of here. He wants to onboard 180 units by this. He goes, yeah. He's so we did that. Process. And then we basically, I proceeded to then help him grow to 770 units. So not only In did I, years, yeah. I managed, I did full renovations. I did the financing. I did the, the cash out refinances. I did all of the property inspections. The while he was in Canada or he was in, you know, South of France or Bali or wherever he was, he bought like, you know, $15 million property sight unseen. I did all of the inspections. Jeez. He trusted me with everything. So, um, did the full rehabs. I would sell the properties too. I listed. So I, I actually like brokered $70 million worth of apartments in like a three or four year time period because he was just so incredibly active. So we did everything from with him from A to Z. So that was a huge learning experience about not how to deal with people, but also just like strategy and decision-making. Like I learned so that was, I basically got like a master's degree in real estate investing from, from this one client. So I would say that was the biggest thing that helped us kind of like get the confidence to just go for it. Yeah. A couple of things to take away. That's pretty interesting. Like that client, what he taught us is that at the right time in the market, like we might be getting there and maybe it's not going to be this one's the best, but there might be another market like Arizona or something where they might have a more of a significant downturn in the market mm -hmm. is he came here and entered a market. And I realized if you enter a market and you're a nobody and you buy and you buy and you buy and you buy, you get attention from everybody oh, yeah. and they will call you first. And he's like, yeah, I might buy a couple of shitty deals but I'm going to win on 18 out of 20. So I don't care. So a couple of body goes, Oh, well, but everybody knew this guy. And I also learned that if you have the right team and we could have done it so much better, you can move real fast. Cause we did that 
unit thing was within two years on top of everything else. And he even said like, he's never moved this fast. So you can move really fast with the right team and the right at everything. So I realized in the down market, when you realize, when these investors realize I might have a short period of time to pick up a lot of deals for it comes up, they just literally slam on the gas and they go and they know when to leverage and go all in. And they're like, I know I'm leveraging hard. I'm going all in, but I know I'm not fault. I'm not, it's not catching a falling knife. It's coming up like this. So that he knew like I'm going to win. And we didn't realize like this guy's going crazy, but he's been around. He knew it. And the other thing I will say is for most people is they're so emotional when they own real estate and they don't treat it like business. So like Crystal said, we're in it every day. I mean, the from the prostitutes to the pimps to the crackheads to the losers, the, the amount of eviction. I mean, I'm, we would have, we had so many, we did 2,000 probably plus unit turns. We rehabbed 600 units. We in and out 20 plus buildings, but bigger. But we were dealing with homeless and this, and you get to the point where like, it is so business. I'm like, I don't even care anymore. I, there's no emotion. There's nobody. I'm like, I feel bad for you, man. But I'm like, I don't really care. Like I've got 17 other problems right behind you. And so I always tell people like when you become emotional and that goes on to the tenant, whether it's big or small, even if you own a private management company, you really can just shoot yourself in the foot. Like you just it'll gotta, run your life. Yeah. yeah. So we realize like everything is like, no, we have to deliver the notice. No, we but you promise. I understand we had a conversation that doesn't matter. I'm giving you a notice in case you don't agree with this. I tactically, if I go to court, I can't lose because I decided to be emotional and go, well, I'm going to do not do. So we realize we do that thing every time was the same. And that's how we kind of like, you just don't make mistakes that way. And, you know, what you're highlighting there is the difference between a mom and pop landlord and someone that is professional with their business. Yeah. You, you know, you can know your tenants, you can even like your tenants, but at the end of the day, they're your tenants and this is your business. And so as you go through the process of managing the property, you have to keep that in mind so that you're managing for a long term, making sure that your business is running as efficiently as possible. And so with that, I'd like to ask the question, if there were a new property management person that's looking to you know get into the industry or just got started in the street what are a few tips that you would give them to make sure they don't make some of the mistakes that most do when they do have those sorts of issues i think my biggest tip is something that any business needs but i think a lot of people skip is your systems and processes (laughs) because multifamily is such a task heavy business there's nothing difficult about it besides the sheer number of tasks that you have to get done on a daily basis so when you say oh i'll wait until i get a little bit busier and then i need that system or that process oh no you're going to need it and then you're going to be too busy to to do that system or put together that system or process and then you're just going to be a disorganized mess which is actually the majority of property management companies, I mean, most people are not happy with their management company. There are very few efficient, good operators out there. So, and the good ones have systems and processes in place. And that was the thing, because that's why we're working 70 to 80 hour weeks. I mean, I'd be working till one o'clock in the morning because I was like, I've got to get this together because the last thing I want is my owner calling me with questions that I don't have answers to. So we were trying to stay on top of the systems and the processes while having like this rapid growth just set it up up front. <laughs> set it up up front. That's my biggest piece of advice. You know, there, there was, um, in fact, on my way here, I was listening to a podcast, uh, a real estate investor podcast. He's, he's in um, storage, so not necessarily okay. multifamily or, or anything to do with, with residents. But he mentioned something that really just it's jumped out to me. And he said, what's urgent shouldn't be important. 
and what's important shouldn't be urgent. Mm -hmm. And basically what he's saying is that, that if you build systems in your business, then nothing that is you know, groundbreaking that could end the, end, like, close the doors for you should ever be urgent because you already have a system in place to deal with it. That's, yeah, yes, that's, that's very that. accurate. And, and then one of the things is, I think when you get into property management and you, you know, in San Diego, every time it rained, we were like, uh, because it was just like that. It's like, because she had so many, What's I think we had 90 properties. What roof's going to leak? Yeah, what yeah. property's going to flood? Crazy flooding. So at first you start getting like, freaked out about everything and then you realize like Chris said you can't freak out about everything and I remember we'd always call like our large apartment owners they're like do you think if I freaked out about 95% of the shit you just said I'd be alive (laughs) and that's what he said is that's why I have people and processes so so what you when you start a business you have to learn I would say for property manager company that Crystal will definitely agree with this is when you take over somebody's property you need to take it over and run it your way when we made a mistake is saying, okay, we'll make an exception with you guys and we'll do it your way. And then you try to plug it in your system and it doesn't work. And then you're kind of like, this isn't working. And then things don't run right. And they get mad at you. It's like, cause you're not letting me do it. And so Crystal sometimes made exceptions and she's like, why did I do this? Like it's my, and then finally it's like, no, it's our way or we just won't manage your property. It's just not worth it. And the second thing is, is like not freaking out about everything. But that's having like the policies and procedures and the right people. Because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. I can tell you like one of the most freeing moments for me as a business owner was firing my first client. It felt freaking amazing. And I was like, who else? Who else? Okay. You know, because you just learn, I think, too, when you're new, you say yes to everything. And then at some point when you have growth, hopefully you have enough, enough success that you look back and you go, okay, who's my ideal client? Like. I'm not for everyone and everyone's not for me. Mm-hmm. So at some point after you can start saying no, and it's like super liberating, you know, like I said, the first client that wasn't a good fit, I was like, you know what? You're better off somewhere else. And then I was like, I have about three other people that I need to go make that same call to, because now like, it's always those like three, like most high maintenance clients that take up 80% of your time. And you're like, why am I doing this when I have all these other people that take up 20% of my time? Mm-hmm. What so what specifically I mean we're talking about systems we're talking about the property managers so I would like to dwell in even more detail what specifically did you all do to systematize business obviously that can be related to the property manager itself or even to real estate today I know we've had that discussion before when I was on the show and I think in general whether you're in real estate now people that want to start a property manager company or people that are in business I think they would gain a lot from that I mean like one of the things I would do now that you do differently is you definitely have your tech stack built your automation built out Mm -hmm. to help communicate with clients but also too is i would have utilized vas virtual assistants Mm -hmm. right now because you cut your costs and save money and they could be answering the phone or dealing with like (laughs) why am i paying you 30 dollars an hour and i can pay somebody five it's it's a bullshit job (laughs) so so i would say for me and also the cost it's a, it's like crystal says it's it's like a nickel and dime business like yeah, so it is. we could have cut cost and hired 10 VAs to one we anything that's a repetitive process in any business should be done by a VA yep. like if it's if it's just the same thing like and we read I forget which book it was but I, it's it's sitting in our other Do room not over there how, perhaps 
No, okay. but there was. But basically, he got excited. Like, oh, but basically, okay. it was like set. Any business that you own needs to be set up like a franchise because yeah. franchises yeah, yeah, yeah. are so incredibly efficient. They write the 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 manual so that any single person could just step in and get trained and do that job. Mm-hmm. So that's really what VAs that's are. Way to look at it, yeah. So and you know, I remember the first VA that we hired. Kenny was like, "Oh, I got to train. Like this is <laughs> it's." I spent so much time putting it together and he thought it was ridiculous. He did a word document of like all this like words typed, right? Like just like typed up all these things. I'm like, nobody's going to look at this. Like you have to put it together and it has helped so much. Now our VAs are so well trained. You just use the same thing over and over. And then you use it to train people and you keep Mm -hmm. building on it. So it's not the fun, sexy part of the business because you just want to get to work, but really the systems and processes and the VAs, like you should, you want to set up your business so that anybody can step in and do the job. Yeah. Yeah. Because eventually you want somebody to do that for you. And it's easier said than done. Believe me, it is not easy. It is well, not you know, easy. It's it's a skill. Just like, you know, learning learning math is a skill or, or learning to play a sport is a skill. Learning how to set up systems, learning how to train VAs, that's a skill in and of itself. So if you can do that and apply that to your own business, chances are you'll do it to the point where the business is running itself and then you can start other projects and do the same thing again. So, you know, once you've built that skill, it's it's it doesn't go anywhere. Yes, it's just like I think most of us like entrepreneurs at first, you're just like a hustler. You're just like Mm -hmm. making it work. You're just like grinding, you know? And so at some point you have to step back. Like the, the, the quote that really stuck with me and that really helped me get over that is like, are you working on your business or are you working in your business? Mm -hmm. And so I was always in my business, in my business. And I could not figure out why I wasn't scaling or why I wasn't growing. And it was like, oh, because I'm in the business all the time. <laughs> like I'm the property manager and the accountant and, mm-hmm. you know, the like maintenance person mm-hmm. and the supervisor. Like how, how are you going to get anything else done? So I think you really have to learn to delegate, but you also have to like you're the visionary for your business. So you have to work on your business, not in your business all the time. And like just to get technical, for example, like if I'd go back and have a private manager of a thousand units, Crystal, you know, you could jump in. Like she had three accountants. She probably could have been like, I could have just had one rock star accountant that has two other VA accountants under them that you pay a fraction. But this lady yes. is the guru and yeah. you go, yeah. then you have a really, really good property manager. And then you have a VA that calls all the past two tenants and VA fall. And you look at, you're like, we could have saved so much money. <laughs> but the good thing about VAs is, Hey, good morning. We're grateful. Gratitude for yeah. the job. They're not coming in like I'm sick. I'm this and complaining and just like because a lot of our time was dealing with every other day was a problem and of, of employees in the office. It's mm-hmm. like this one yelled at Susie and this one's not. It's like <laughs> hey, can we just work? When you're an entrepreneur, you're like just work. So I think having a couple really key players and having the right people around them is like a good hack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's so much going on that's not being said right now. Between you two, you're like, yes. Yeah, well, because yes. we, we <laughs> both uh, recently hired VAs. And yeah. so you guys cool. are just like basically telling us what we've, what we've learned over the last couple of a couple of months or so. I think. Yeah, because yeah. I'm at three right now. And it's like insane because one helps with marketing. The other one helps even in the writing sense. So I write stuff and she like cross checks my writing. She used to write for like BBC News. And that was like a thorough vetted process. I'm like, hey, like this is hard to find, but I need someone as a writer because that's my lane. And then the other person, she's more like, what's it, graphics and whatnot, which okay. that hands down is for social. And she oh she God, has she has done things that I never thought possible. Just but the ability to have an EA that is good with uh, anything with website design or anything with graphics, they can take it crosses into books, it crosses into marketing, it crosses into everything and that has been such a 
the amount of money I would have spent to no, hire that job out oh, through Upwork or another sense. freelancer, and I'm paying her monthly. That that's thirteen hundred two grand a month that I'm yeah, paying Monty's her. Yeah, Monty's got a bunch under her for like, editing. Like and I everything. said, Monty's Nothing. the queen, and she's like, I but like I. I <laughs> so what I would tell somebody is like any business, like my business, your anybody's business, is you write down all the shit you have to do, yeah. then you take a red highlighter or a green one, and you go. What do you want to do? Highlight what you want to do. Like you can only do it. And the rest of the stuff, put it over here. Yeah. Do you have to hire? Can a VA do it? Cool. No. Okay. What can somebody and then put it off to VA? It's like Monty can do this. Monty, you got to give it all the shit. Give it to the VA and then we can start growing. Mm -hmm. And then the VAs, like you said, you can't, these small businesses, this is a game changer. Oh. Especially too when people are having such a hard time finding employees. Like mm -hmm. you want to, people want to hire in the U.S. and it's like nobody you can't even get anybody to yeah. work. The unemployment rates are like what two percent, three percent. You're not going to find anybody. But nobody still wants to work. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Like True. it's like we're going to have to have this recession or some pain there to get people back to work because it's not. They still can't find quality people at like restaurants. I'm like, yeah. how is this possible? Yeah. It's like you said, but four a.m. and they check in like, good morning, Mister. I'm like. Yes. Yeah. So respectful cool. and happy. Yeah. You see it, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like and, and, you know, look, I, we, we've already probably convinced half the audience to, to get a VA, but there's an, another, you know, talking point is that it kind of forces you yourself to grow. I, I know there's been points where I'm like, I have to find something for her to do. Like, I, I, like, she, she, she works so efficiently, so quickly. I got to find more stuff for her to do. And that, in, it, you know, inherently is growing my business. That's I'm, a great problem to have. Right? So, so I mean... It's it's been phenomenal. So I mean, it goes back to what you were saying. Being a visionary, it yeah. forces you to step back and be like, okay, what do I do next to grow the business and mm -hmm. go to the next level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This we we were on it. We we found this other VA company. And I was on the call with this guy, and he had a good point. He goes, you know, we're recruiting from these major companies, and I said, okay, because I now you know how to interview and talk to people. Like I know what I'm asking, and he goes, he goes, for example, most of our VAs that we recruit. There, I, I believe it was a minimum. He goes, their minimum travel time to go to work and back home is three hours a day. Wow. And he goes, and he goes, and then they're there and they're making a dollar, two dollars an hour. And he goes, so imagine when they can eliminate three hours and be at home and work, how excited they are. And they're making more money. And also make like triple it's a win. So yeah. people like that's It's such a win. I was like three hours. He goes, is that travel by bus and all this? It's three hours a day. Could you imagine commuting us three hours a day? How much your life would change? Yeah. Oof. And getting a huge pay raise. And they just yeah. said most of that time is not spent with family. So they, that's the family time that, you know, that's the precious time. So, mm. yeah. All right. Well, before we go into the next round, you said something else, Kenny, at the very beginning where you were talking about your background and you talked about meeting, especially the owners here in San Diego where they're not syndicating, they're owning 50, 100 units and on their own. What lessons learned did you pick up from that? Those conversations, what what are they doing? It's, it's gonna it's gonna be funny. So <laughs> um, I know Crystal wants to say the line, but well, no, no, the line. So we people go meet with them, right? And they call back and they go, "This is what they said." What do they always say? What get off the sideline? No, what? no. Basically, they're always like, <laughs> "We went to lunch with one of them recently." Okay. And I said, "If you had to start all over again, would you syndicate?" He said, "No." Mm. And I said, "Why?" He's like. Why do we do this? I'm like, why do we do what? He goes, what did my real say? I'm like, well, the taxes. He goes, no. Freedom. Like, Freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want a yeah. boss. He goes, yeah. syndicators? Cool. I don't want it. And so Crystal asked another question. All the deals you bought, and he owns 2,000 plus units, so you can mm -hmm. imagine, by himself. All the deals you bought, how many deals did you get? What was his answer? How many deals? Deals, like... 
like home runs? Uh, yeah. Probably not many. Not many. Yeah. He it says, every deal I bought at the time. Was market. Was market. Everything I, I bought I, at market. I, I, oh, hey, wow. I overpaid for and this. And guess what? He's even sold properties and bought the same property back later. Yeah. There you go. San Diego, I, I, mean, I mean, look, man. No, no, no. So, so, so people go see him. They go, this is what he said. They go, it's expensive. He goes, that's what they said 30 years ago, 20 right? years ago. This. That, that is true right there. And so I think the biggest lesson to learn is we're talking about San Diego, Mark, and we're not talking about others. San Diego, as you guys know, it's a unique beast. But if, if you understand the market and you do well here, I mean, you can do incredibly well. And I think, you know, some of the, and, and some of these guys – they trade out of properties to go more cash flow, but there's really no secret sauce to that. I think what a lot of them did is when the time was right, when there was an opportunity where maybe things dip, that's where they hit the gas and they really leveraged up. Mm-hmm. And they and look, it wasn't sexy either. They were using credit cards. They were broke. They were like, you know, getting cash together. And some of them had partners early on just to get started, just like we did. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes you have to get partners to get started because you, you can't start with nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And like the, the minimum down nowadays is a lot if you want to get into this market. So you get partners and, and you just bootstrap it like there's mm-hmm. no like shortcut, no, you know, easy way to get there. You just sacrifice and bootstrap it until you get to a point where it just starts getting easier. Starts to roll. And the one we're talking about, this is crazy. So this is like, I think the early nineties, he got a first from home bank. That was who lending. They do 80% and then he yeah. found a guy. They do the 80, 10, 10. Then he, then he, uh, then he okay. found, then he found a guy to give him a 20% second at like 15% interest. And I said, well, how'd you know you weren't going to fail? He goes, I didn't know that. Just do it. Yeah. He goes, what do I have to lose? You just go. Just do shit. Yeah. He goes, people are like, you're an idiot. He goes, okay. And now he's got 2,000 units and they're still probably think he's an idiot. You know? No, they don't so, think he's an idiot. No, but you know what I'm saying. But yeah. like, so I think it's the guys that got really big that you might have heard of or know, they just had bigger balls and they went for it. Especially when times dip, that's where they're like, borrow, beg, steal, rob a bank, let's go. You know, I mean, they're leveraging. But you do have to know your numbers. Like, exactly. that's yeah. the whole thing. You can't you got, just You got to have the baseline. Yes. I, I mean, yes. the, the, the most successful people I know in real estate are by far not the smartest. No. Just, they just take the most action. That's it. 100%. That's, like, that's right there, the most action. Yeah. 100%. They pick a path, they pick a plan, and they go for it. And I think they do realize, okay, we're getting a little frothy here, maybe time to pull back. But, you know, they're going to come into this next year, and it's – going to be less frothy that's mm-hmm. when they're going to be like cool did some cash out refis and let's go buy a bunch of stuff yeah just bootstrapping you got the first yeah. part of that right i like that How about the second part huh? <laughs> <laughs> all right we're going to move on to the second part of the show this is the legacy round so you can usually pick between the three these three topics or you could do round robin and do all three so it's an open forum on your favorite acquisition that you felt changed your business or your life which we've kind of talked about a little bit already Practical tips on how to grow your portfolio or how to build your investment network. So you can pick one of the three or you can do round robin. You can do round robin. Yeah, robin. Yeah. I'll take the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the deal that changed my life. Yeah. The deal I think that changed our life was the house. So we bought a house in 2012 and we wanted to originally buy like a three or four unit live in one, rent out the others. That was our plan. Mm. We could not find anything. At that point in the market, all the flippers were in there and it was just like crazy offers. People Mm -hmm. had all this money down. We didn't have jack. (laughs) We had like three and a half percent. So we ended up finding a house 
and we got it by accident. Like it was the craziest story too long to tell, but we by accident got this house. We bought it for five forty five. We re- renovated it. We added a second story. We sold it in 2014 and we went to the courthouse right before we closed because of that fabulous little like tax thing that you can uh, do. Yeah. So we got married and we were able to take half a million dollars tax free because we lived in our house for the last for two years prior to selling it. So that half a million dollars got us started like buying our first actual apartment deal. And that was the plan from the beginning. And believe me, as a female, that house was beautiful. It like, you just like want to nest in it and you want to stay and you're like, let's just get a line of credit instead, you know? And he's like, nope, this is our plan. So we sold it. We took the half a million bucks and that really started the the whole thing, thing into real estate investing. And that, that was probably the most impactful thing. That first step. Mm. That's well, the same can. one. Easy there. for a story. Uh, to do that one. Well, well, we, yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it. Well, let's, Investing network then. So we were talking previously, we were talking Pace Morby, we were talking Avengers Mastermind. So let's touch on that. Building that investment network. I I will tell you this. I look back now, my biggest regret is not getting around the right people sooner. Mm. Um, And even Crystal, she'll admit this. I joined the mastermind, never did anything. Never. The only thing I did before that is I probably spent 10 grand to go to Gary Vee in his office and do like kind of a very small like that was 12 the first people thing you had to spend money on. And then I went to this mastermind and Chris was like, why are you spending all the time from out? And then she was kind of like, is this really worth it? No, she was. And then lately she's like, she saw the time and she's like, okay, this is really making a difference. Mm-hmm. So I hate to say it, but if you're willing to put up the bucks to pay to be around the right people, it's going to move the needle. I will say this even more. If you're a syndicator and you want to raise money, you put up the bucks and you go into these places where everybody wants to be a real estate investor, 80% of them will never be the real estate investor. 20% will, but the 80% have money and they will invest with you. So um, Avengers has another thing called 100 mil, which I know the guys there, I wouldn't join that. If I was a syndicator or business and raising money, I would join that because the amount of money in that group, they can- I, we, There's billionaires in there. We've been in a yeah. room within 30 minutes, we funded a round of $6 million on a text message like that. I was like, in 30 minutes, I don't even know it's 20 minutes. I was like, holy <laughs> smokes. Mm-hmm. So being in the right room, getting around the right connections um, can get you from A to B way faster than you ever can. And so if I could, if somebody said, hey, give me a hundred grand and I could do X, Y, Z for you, whatever that was, now that I know, I would yeah. get somebody $300,000 because it's worth it. And yeah. let me tell you something, because wow. like Kenny's talking on this bigger level that I think for some people might seem just like, but just, you know, just like wild, but just to give you like a very like real example in a small way, I say this to him, I'm like, you need to tell people this more. So Kenny, as a loan officer, we all know so many loan officers now who have not closed a deal in two, three, four months, nice. right? They have not closed a deal. Kenny is funding the same amount that he funded last year for this year. That is, that is because of all of the networking, because the social media, because getting like doing all of this is the reason why Mm -hmm. he's doing well. So Mm -hmm. for the people who don't think that it's worth it or feel like now's not the time to spend, 
sitting here doing nothing is not going to change your life. Like sitting here doing the same thing is going to get you the same result. You have to go do something different and be around people and do something that's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for your, your pocketbook, uncomfortable for you socially, all of that. Like you have to get uncomfortable and go sit in rooms with people who are way better than you because it will, you're either going to quit or it's going to force you to level up. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is whatever she said, but that was good. No, the one thing I will say is that we have kind of a limited mindset. So, you know, you could have friends, you're like one friend makes a million bucks a year. You're like, wow, he's the big deal. And then you get into these rooms and you're around a table and then you realize that a person you come close to, they make $10 million net a year. And then you realize that person makes $20 million net a year. And you're like, they're no different than me. Like yeah. how the hell are you doing? It's like, Ken, you can do this. If you just start doing this, mm-hmm. you got, but you, nobody does anything. But I did these actual steps. So like Crystal said, it's literally that simple. But when you get around the right rooms and you're around these conversations over and over and over, it's like, this is what you become. And, you know, just to add to that point, you know, there's there's the saying, you can do a lot in five years and everybody thinks they can do a lot in one, or I, I totally butchered that, but you get the idea. If you're gonna, you know, start networking, just give yourself 12 months, 18 months of doing it. Don't do it for a month, say, oh, it didn't work and move on to the next thing. You really gotta stick with it for a while because these things snowball. And and as oh. we know, snowballs are small when they get started. They can become they can become avalanches later on. So, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go down this path, give yourself a long period of time, a lot of data to understand, you know, what you did, what you did right, what you did wrong, and then reevaluate and do it again. So I can tell you in 2012, our net worth was like nothing. Today it's like 15 million. So 10 years. There you go. That's not bad. So that's why I say like people like, look, I didn't graduate college. He didn't graduate college. We're nothing special. We just do the work. And we just kind of like put our balls on the line. Even when people are like, you're an idiot. I'm like, well, let me figure that out myself. You know? So <laughs> you know let me funny? confirm. Yes. You know what's funny is, um, so we had a C2 connect thing and I was talking to this guy cause I was going on the LO panel and Brian, the CEO of C2 was like, Hey, Kenny, so what it sounds like is like you figured out the problem because like when you're a loan officer or you're, you know, or even if you're doing what you're doing, you're like, I got to be getting acquisitions. But if I'm in here dealing all this paperwork and this garbage, I can't be out there hunting deals, right? Mm -hmm. It's for everybody. Like if you're not hunting constantly in sales or in business, you're going to fail. And so in our business or realtors or whatever, you end up doing the 80-20. You either do 80% paperwork and 20% hunting Mm -hmm. or you do 80% hunting and 20% paperwork. And so I literally, somebody's like, you need to be doing 80% origination. I'm like, how in the hell am I supposed to do that five years ago? And literally Brian's like, it sounds like you're doing 80% hunting. I'm like, no, I'm probably doing like 95% hunting now, networking. And you realize you can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can. You just have to slow down and put the systems and the people in the place, like go back to what you said. It doesn't matter. Like we talked to the big syndicator in Dallas, Michael Becker, and we were like, I'm like, so how often do you meet with brokers? He's got, you know, a billion dollars there. The largest syndicator was in banking. It came out. He goes, 90% of my time is meet with brokers, meet with this broker, is going to lunches, dinner. He goes, do I want to do that? No. Do I have to? That's how I'm getting the deals. Right. I'm building the relationships. He goes, he goes, it's my whole world is that. And I got another partner that deals all the bullshit, all the headache. If I had to do both, I wouldn't be here. I mm-hmm. could not do both. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. It's like, you know, it's just that really that Focus role. on your business, not be in your yeah, business. Yeah, and we've really been... We like she beat in my head. We beat it in our chest. Said we really got to get over this hump, and I feel like we really finally did it. You know, it it's hard. Time. Yeah, it's hard. Love it. All right, we're gonna move on to the last part of the show, the Giordano round. As you know, this is the multi-family about a slice podcast, which stems from Chicago pizza. You get these Giordano slices that just thick. 
and juicy and just full of goodness. All right, so it's going to be a series of questions back and forth between Ike and I. Each answer to the question is going to leave our listeners with a mouthful. So the first one, you're in the top of the highest mountain in the world. These are the last words you can scream out to everyone to remember you by. What would you scream out to the world and want them to remember you, Crystal and Kenny, by? You go. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, like if you meet me, I leave an impact on you. Okay. Nice. Hopefully, if you meet me, I leave it. Uh, yeah, I think that if I were going to scream anything out at the top of the mountain, I don't know. I think I would just say like, I think that you sh- we should always be striving to grow and be our best. Like, I think. Hopefully the one thing people take away from me is that I was always trying to be my best and that that influenced other people to try and be their best too. All right. All right. Number two, if there was one slice of wisdom you wish you knew before you got started or advice you give to yourself prior to when you got started, what would it be? Oh, geez. I should know this one. Like, you go first? Go. That's easy. It's just get around bigger people faster more in people better in bigger rooms faster yep. mine would have been like invest sooner mm. i had I, I had that access a lot earlier than when i started and i was just a ding dong and i <laughs> you know <laughs> so i would say start sooner nice yeah. nice all right what are your favorite or critical three most multi-family real estate terms you think investors should know cash flow cap rate and net income Agree? Disagree? I, I agree. See, I got all the best ones. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, since she sizes a million deals a year, I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> all right, bringing it home. Education is critical in this business. What books, masterminds, podcasts would you recommend listeners immerse themselves in? So I think my one piece of advice in terms of reading is like, don't ever just read a book once. Like, you are I not going to get the value out of it. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I know everybody loves it, but it's for a reason. I think it's actually one of the absolute best books that anybody can read. And that's why I love it. Like the stories in it are so relatable and it's just like dumbed down. You know, it's not like all the real, it's not, you know, cap rates and cash flow and net worth and all of this. It's like, it fully teaches you about money in a way that's like, entertaining and it's like super digestible that's Mm. my all-time favorite book nice i will kind of go all over the place so i like to listen to podcasts i'm not a book reader um i read a lot of articles i if it's sam zell barry sternlick things like that i literally will constantly be looking to see if they have a new interview to watch them but i also listen to macroeconomics i listen to a podcast that's the all in podcast with Chamath and love those that. guys I love that show. because they're coming from a different perspective. So I like to listen to right side, left side. I like to listen to it all to see what's going on because we're in a world that's dictated by finances and economic and rates and this and that. So when you kind of understand of what the hell's going on out there, I have to sound intelligent to my clients or at least into myself. So when you get all of it out there and you're listening to lots of different things from real estate to macro, I mean, I wouldn't just listen to real estate. I would listen to macro, different guys. You're getting different perspectives. And, you know, Chamathan, they don't invest in real estate, but they're also saying real estate probably won't do as bad as it did last time. And he doesn't even care about it. So I think it's cool. And I, and honestly, when I listen to all these guys, I go, wow, I take so many things away. And I realize like, damn, he's right about that. They're right about this. (laughs) 
And I'm like, okay, then you start really realizing who to listen to. So when you listen to the gamut, you start to really narrow down who's really message is right based off data. People always wonder how Kenny knows so much about so many different things. <laughs> he literally goes to sleep listening to economists in his ear. Okay. That's how he knows so much. Um, well, I have one last book. Go for it. Uh, Miracle Morning. That is one of my favorite nice. books and it's super easy to read. And I just think it like helped, it really helped me get in the mindset of like waking up and having like a routine that helps me to be successful on a daily basis. And I think everybody, like if you're struggling with like motivation and things, I think that's a book like you absolutely need to read. And it's so small that you can read it like every time you feel like you need to like pick it up. Yeah. If, if you like uh, Sam Zell, I know you're not a, a big book guy, but his autobiography, am I being too subtle? Favorite book. By far, I heard and, it's really and good. the guy's a boss. I mean, yeah, oh, you know, he's, so. <laughs> he's such by the way for the listeners, Sam Zell is basically like the founder of REITs. He's a real estate god. Check him out. Google yeah. him. Like he knows. Go, shit. Walk, go to YouTube and listen to all his interviews. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, these are like the celebrities in Kenny's eyes. Like he, he, he doesn't want to be like you know some like movie star. He's like you know quoting like Sam Zell, Barry Sterling, yeah. and a few other guys at dinner. I'm like cool. I'd be. Yeah. Like, I, I was I was uh, interviewed on a podcast recently, and there was a question. You know, if you could have lunch or dinner with someone anybody in the world dead or alive who would you choose and i chose the ceo of blackstone okay. <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm gonna say them both like these yeah. are the sort of guys i want to talk to now Gosh, i mean the they lunch with jay-z like, great but I, i'll talk to guys right. blackstone. yeah <laughs> it's just so much different yeah well how can multi-family about a slice listeners best get in touch with you you can go to our website, getinthecashflowgame.com. That pretty much takes you to Pacific Shore Capital or it takes you to Simpson Team for financing. But we've like everything that we have really lives on getting the cash flow game. And then of course we're we're on social, but that will take you everywhere. Cool. There you go. Another great episode of Multifamily by the Slice. I'm the host, Dre Evans. I got my co-host, Ike Eke. want to, again, thank everyone for tuning in for another great episode. It's Kenny Crystal. Thank you for coming thank on the guys. show, just adding your value, adding that wisdom to our guests. I know they're going to get a lot from this. And thank you again. We'll hear you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Multifamily by the Slice podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Lastly, check out the show notes for links to topics discussed, as well as website and social media links for Dre, Ike, and our guest. See you next week.